t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shower curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, TV Spitzer and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZON. Hey everyone, welcome to the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival 26th Annual Streaming. Oh my goodness, can you believe it? We've, we've, we've been here, we've come, we've come a long way, baby. All right. Uh, hey, and we are doing this panel, insert name here, and it is the Cthulhu Mythos in pop culture from a varying degree from, I'm, I'm going to say from like a scale of zero to a scale of ten, uh, zero being no Cthulhu Mythos at all, and ten being it's, it's the Cthulhu Mythos baby, and uh, I don't know, uh, one being like just like I don't know, maybe that episode of Night Gallery where there's just, like, Yog sothoth written on a chalkboard, while Nine, I don't know, uh... <laughs> Yog sothoth uh, Nine being, I don't know, the Dunwich Horror uh, featuring uh, Dean Stockwell. Uh... <laughs> and Sandra D. And Sandra yep. D. I always forget she's in there. And people are like, how can you forget? How can you forget? All right. And uh, of course, I, I am DB Spitzer, host of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am moderating this panel. And also moderating this panel is David Heath. And uh, David, can you introduce everyone? Well,. Let me introduce myself. I am a co-host on the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos and have such glorious podcasts under my belt as Dave's Undergoat, uh, Underground Goat Shenanigans and Radio Free Oleander. Um, so maybe we'll let everybody sort of 
pass the torch a little bit. Uh, Scott Ollis, would you like to introduce uh, who you are and what you're doing? Sure. I'm Scott Ewells. I am the uh, just a guy who does some stuff. Uh, I have a gaming company that I make games for. Uh, I actually literally just came from running a playtest for a Call of Cthulhu adventure that will be up on Miskatonic Repository cool. sometime later at the end of the month. Uh, but I am uh, at this film festival. I am most known for having written a story a couple years back that was in the microfiction contest. Uh, that was in the little booklet. So I wrote uh, Voice from the Sea. Uh, so that's what I'm for. But that's who I am. A great story. Thank you. Uh, Peter? Are you... Oh, I'm Pete Rollick. I write some stuff. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I write lots and lots of, of Lovecraftian fiction, um, short stories, poetry, novels. Um, and I am a regular panelist on the Lovecraft Ezine podcast on Sunday nights. And we just released our my newest book, uh, Miskatonic University Spiritualism Club. Woohoo! Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Andrew? Yeah, um, I'm Andrew Migliori. I'm the founder and original director of the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. I'm also co-author of the book, Lurker in the Lobby, The Guide to the Cinema of H.P. Lovecraft. One uh, of my go-to books, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. This was super fun. John Streisick, uh, who's my co-author on that, we had a super great time writing that book. You may see another incarnation of it uh, in the future, in the near future, hopefully. Um, I love all this stuff. I, I started early. I've, I've worked on some games, uh, did uh, a Arkham Horror uh, Film Festival uh, supplement for the Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm also working on another board game that may have something to do with the person behind you, but that's that's all I'm going to say at this point. Well, thank you, everybody, for being here, and thank you for those who are watching this. All right, so we are talking about the Cthulhu mythos in pop culture, uh, and I, 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 I think I, I, I used, uh, oh, I, I can't remember what two uh, comic book uh uh, occult horrors. Starro. Starro. Starro and, and Shumagora. Thank you, thank you. And I don't know if we'll actually even get to those two, because I know that everyone has so many cool things that they want to talk about. Um, Andrew, you mentioned something that I thought was fascinating, and it is something that happens with the Cthulhu mythos when it is applied to other things is it ends up getting what i don't know if you quite said it like this but it ends up becoming kind of watered down and then is some kind of and then has like uh christian mythology added to it and it made me think of like calling azathoth the demon sultan and stuff like that when it's like yeah that's not even that's 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 not even close, dude. <laughs> no, could, could, could you go into that with what you were talking oh. about? Sure. I, I think there's two kind of things that happen. I mean, you can even look at the origin of Lovecraft's work and mm-hmm. what um, August Derelith uh, did in terms of pure kind of cosmic horror where you have, you know, when you start introducing something that's maybe more familiar or you want to ground it in good and evil mm-hmm. and Judeo-Christian values, yeah. what, what happens is you lose that cosmic 
uh, horror element and the separation of, you know, you know, humanity versus the universe and you get something different that's maybe more familiar. The, the one thing I really don't like, especially when, when I was directing over the years, is I don't like when, uh, like, it just it becomes Satan or satanic, you know, it's because it's that's not what it's about um, in the cosmic horror. So but that said, the second thing is you, you and I learned this doing the film festival as well, is it could become a very static thing if everyone was just slavishly trying to adapt like just the small set of Lovecraft stories. It would get very samey and not interesting. And so what I really appreciated over the years of the film festival is people taking those concept or story concepts from the original canon of Lovecraft and like authors and then using that as a springboard to infuse something else. Uh, and when done right is really cool. You know, I, you know, Uzumaki is, you know, I, I think an example where you have an influence of Shadow over Innsmouth, but it's totally different and it's really kind of crazy and cool. Um, so that's, that's where I see the you know, divergent and, and you got to understand if it, if it's a commercial product, the point of businesses are to make money. Right. And so, you know, when you're trying, I talked to Brian Usna and Stuart Gordon about this too. It's like when you pitch in these ideas, they go, eh, yeah, well, the, these fishy people, huh? how about replacing them with vampires or werewolves? People know what vampires and werewolves, you know, if, you know, fish people aren't that scary, you know, or things like that. Or or why don't we just make it Satan? Because then it's easy. Now we have something that people can get their brains around. Um, and, and that's what happens. You see a lot of this, you know, especially on the on the producer side. I'm, I'm making generalizations here, of course, but um, you, you see a lot of the producers deviating necessarily from what the director vision or even the screenwriters want to do to make it in their minds more marketable. So there's, we, we saw a couple films like that at the film festival this past weekend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I've referred to that process in my own writing and reviews as, as the Satanization of Cthulhu. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I like to think of it almost as a hammerization of Cthulhu. It's like, well, let's just make him sexy vampires, or it's it's just easy to say uh, the devil. But <laughs> oh, did we lose people? Did I freeze up, or did everyone? The haunted palace. Up? You know that they made it, where they made it put Poe instead of Lovecraft because people knew who Poe was, mm -hmm. right? And, right. And that's the business decision, that AIP to make sure that, hey, we got to market this. And then, you know, that, that's funny. It's like this little quote from the, the poem by Poe. But, you know, Charles Beaumont totally was doing the story, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's there's just doubt. And uh, it comes through regardless. Um, it's not even a palace. It's a mansion. I, I, I know. Well, you know, it, you know, the... Yeah, it, it, it is what it is. And so you, we still enjoy those things, even if they're they're flawed and they all are flawed, uh, you know, especially in the early stuff. And, you know, I, I'd love to hear from everyone else, you know, um, about where do you think the origin? I have a theory, but I'd like to know where like the where it really started taking off or where is where was the real influence, the accelerant that. You know, I, I think the Cthulhu mythos or Lovecraft mythos to be incorporated into pop culture. And anyone want to tackle that? I'm going to say a big jump is Evil Dead. Okay. Yep. Uh, that that popularized the, the term Necronomicon. Yeah. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, Peter, Scott, you have any? So 
I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Star Trek, the original series. Interesting. Several stories by Robert Block that make hints at cosmic horror and old ones and things that are just, you know, in that vein. Mm -hmm. And he was not the only writer contributing those kinds of stories to the original series. Sure. Um, really gets it, gets the, the, these ideas into the mainstream um, science fiction community. If not Lovecraft, at least the idea of cosmic horror. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, lo- I love when he slipped in the, yes, the old ones created us. So that was great. Yeah. It was like, and every Lovecraftian is looking at it like, wait, wait, what did he just say? <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, my thoughts are, um, so I was going to talk about like Japan and Lovecraft uh, here a little bit later, but, um, but for me, I do think that like the, the growth and popularity of anime also has an influence over it because yeah. I do think that there's a lot of Lovecraftian elements that appear in various anime and in certain games, right? Like even, even the very popular Doki Doki literature club has a Lovecraftian sort of Cthulhu monster thing in it, which is weird because it doesn't quite fit, but it does like, then they just, so I think like the growth and, and of the popularity of like anime amongst like the common pop culture also helped promote these ideas of like Cthulhu and the mythos and stuff, because those appear there. Um, I mean, I think there's like an Alarhotep dating game somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, so, one thing, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely uh, anime. And I wanted to point out animation. One thing that I, I definitely ran across the Cthulhu mythos, and this is just my own personal experience, was an animation like Saturday morning animation in the late 70s, early 80s, particularly episodes written by Michael Reeves, whether it be an episode of Dark Star the real Ghostbusters, um, oh, uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, the cartoon, just like there's just like, I don't know, Lovecraftian elements that this particular writer and other writers that like, you know, grew up on pulp and stuff like that, like slipped into like children, <laughs> children's well, media. Right. Advanced D and D, or I guess Dungeons and Dragon originally, right? Um, had you know the the section in the Gods and Deities, or the uh, probably, yeah, thank you. That had that section for uh, you know the Lovecraftian beasties, elder gods and old ones, and um, you know so that's a lot of people's. You know, if you go back to World War Two, and this is what it was kind of interesting is like. Early on, when the armed uh, forces uh, services were serializing Lovecraft stories like Dunwich Horror and uh, you know Shadow Over Innsmouth, I, I've had people who used to be customers of mine who who had stormed beaches and and whatnot, and they told me that was their first like like they they didn't have much to read. That was fascinating, and so they got into this stuff early on. So you just wonder like, did that have an effect? Then when they occupied. Countries like Japan did that. You know, the soldiers' influence and in, in common. So you, you, I've always wondered about that because this artist, one of the, this World War II vet I'm talking about, he had he he'd write me this, these lovely letters and he'd illustrate each letter and he'd show me what he he thought he saw or see when he was there and talking about Lovecraft's influences and how it it, it kind of messed with kind <laughs> of stuff. And you know, you're befriending kids and other things, and so like. You start influencing people on that, 
And then in the 50s, like suspense radio came in. Mm-hmm. And you had all these radio shows all of a sudden, old-time radio shows that we call we call them old-time radios. But um, all of a sudden, they're, they're doing Weird Tale um, you know, adaptations. And then you started getting in the 60s the film adaptations of, of things, including Matango, which is, you know, uh, William Hodgson's, but it, it's still like very, you know, in the, in, the, in the vein of Weird Tales. So that's the old stuff. And, you know, that's where it feels like a lot of the stuff started, like, influencing the people who became influencers. Mm-hmm. So you have, there was um, the, the uh, was it Bart House who did the World War II editions? No, it was Arkham, Arkham House. Well, Arkham no, no, House, no. yeah, it's, you're talking about the serialized version. I don't remember no. um, who actually did, Arkham House didn't do it, but like the, that they had the company. Oh, I, I was thinking the military uh, copies of the book. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, there was. I think it was Bart House who did the the, the strange sized um, editions that fit in your back pocket. Right. And 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 that's the, that's kind of stuff I'm talking about where it got pretty much uh, mass distributed <laughs> with Chris's right. And there's a book on uh, Lovecraft and the Space Gods where it talks about that about the uh, soldiers leaving them in France and right. how and how up until you know the 60s and they started mass producing it. It was easier to get Lovecraft in French than it was English. Hmm. And and you you've got it was because France you know again France is a huge you know has a huge Lovecraftian following. What caused it? And you know I've always I've always wondered because of my experience with a soldier, um, you know former vet who who had that experience, and then all these books as you're saying that were left on the shores of places in Japan and, and Europe and things, and like what impact it would have. Umberto Eco, who who obviously wrote the Name of the Rose and uh, and, and Foucault's Pendulum, uh, he said he was influenced by uh, GIs who gave him comic books and things like that. So it's just fascinating. Don't know if it's true though. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, I'm getting an echo off of someone here. Okay, it's gone. <laughs> so, uh, what what uh what what, uh, what would we call like maybe like some of those are some like really good examples of like just kind of like Lovecraft kissed things. What are some like would you say are like very kind of like Lovecraft light or Lovecraft leaning kind of media that just almost scratches that itch, but not quite, that, that you've run across there. Well, so, you know, Brian Lumley's whole Necroscope trilogy, mm-hmm. or series, is yeah. is based off of, you know, a, a one line in, in, in the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, he takes one of... Um, uh, Kerwin's uh, correspondence and turns him into these Vampiri. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he just runs with it for the next 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> F. Paul Wilson and his uh, Repairman Jack series, yeah. starting with The Keep, um, does pretty much does the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's Lovecraft Light. Yeah. yeah there, there are a few more series like that. Uh, the Laundry by Charles Strauss. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a little, yeah, little bit heavier than the other yeah. two, but yes. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I like what he did there is he took in the style of each of the famous uh, Cold War kind of espionage writers and then did something, you know, Lovecraftian-esque with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Would you consider things like, um, you know, again, book and film, but, uh, you know, uh, John dies in the end and, uh, you know, yeah. this, this, this part of, yeah. All right. I, I, I think video games are, I mean, obviously huge too. Like, uh, you know, did did you feel like Doom in the early days had kind of a, you know, I know Sandy Peterson worked on it later, I mm-hmm, think, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember that having an influence uh, as well. I think Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Doom, and then I think when Reanimator came out, I mean, those, to me, in my lifetime, were some of the milestones. A Haunted Palace, too, because I, I, I watched the reruns in the early yeah. 70s. But very nice, very. So nice. I was always. I, go ahead. Oh no no no! You're saying. So I can remember watching heavy metal for the first time right. and going, "Oh my god, this episode of Dan is so Lovecraftian! Uh-huh. It just it would just need one little thing, like one person saying Cthulhu to push it over." Yeah. And then like I got like the comic book adaption, and it's like, Cthulhu tech. <laughs> it's Cthulhu spelled backwards. Yeah. Yeah, and just but it was like twenty years between the first time I saw it and I read the comic book adaptation. Yeah, it's like yeah, it was there all the time. It just you know was unrecognizable. Yeah, it, I I think it leaked through all those you know the heavy metal magazine the um, you know the the eerie all the weird anything weird tale esque you're gonna mm-hmm. see the sprinkling like pixie dust fairy dust being scattered yep. out the stuff. Because all these people grew up on the stuff and they loved it, and then they they started putting it in their stuff, you know. Archie Goodwin, <laughs> yeah, was huge on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he must have had three or four different series of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, yeah. I mean, right? You, you did the same thing, right? You you right. you, yeah. So. Yeah, I I tried. Well, one of the things I did with reanimators was, was I tried to mine everything I knew about Lovecraftian influences, and and not just Lovecraft, but Derelict and Howard and Smith and a whole bunch of other people, and and bring them together in, in kind of a coherent manner, and your mileage may vary, but I had fun, and I think that's what why I keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to Innsmouth, stranger. Hi, I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon and there you can also sign up as a patron which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, 
which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This month's bandwidth is brought to you by Psychedelic Water. Legal psychedelics suspended in green tea and then put inside of a can for you. Psychedelic Water. Who needs a Tillinghast resonator when you've got psychedelic water? Are you a curvy girl? Do you know a curvy girl? You love a curvy girl. Check out the show links for curvy girl. Plus size clothing for plus size women. Oh, Larry, fine, fine student instruments, beginner's instruments. If you want to modify a guitar, check out Glary. If you want to get into guitars, if you love guitars, Glary. Things from another world. It's a store that has art. It has toys. It has comics, graphic novels. It is the place if you like that kind of stuff. Dave and I have talked about it in the show before. They were ever a sponsor. Dave likes to check out their stuff. I like to check out their stuff. They're pretty cool. Toys, art, graphic design, not graphic design, graphic novels for you. Thanks from another world. Check out the show notes. Uh, check out the links on, on our website, PGPTCM. We've got specific stuff there to let you know what they've got going on for specials. Anyway, thank you again so much. Did you know that there is a THC derivative that's legal called Delta-8? Not to be confused with the Delta variant, but Delta-8, yeah. Uh, you can get it in chewable form, and it's sold at, uh, what, what, what's, what's Golden Goat CBD, one of our sponsors? Yeah, you can get some Delta-8, and you can also pick up some CBD chewables gummies. They've got smokables for the Delta-8, and... They've got all kinds of stuff for CBD, and they can help you out. Uh, check the show notes, Golden Goat. And while you're in the show notes, hey, do you know about Donner? Donner has so many amazing musical instruments from all kinds, mandolins, banjos. They've got drums. They've got amplifiers. They've got guitars. They've got all kinds of stuff, and they ship worldwide. Check out Donner. I think you're going to like it, and I think Donner's going to have a good deal for you. So I, I love their electric guitars. A lot of the music that I perform for the show is either on one brand or it's on a Donner. So check out Donner and check out some savings. All right. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes rate review subscribe and remember patrons get priority access to asking us questions suggesting topics even i don't know uh submitting stuff actually you don't have to be a patron to submit anything that's how dave got on the show and that's how you can get on the show too it's the people's guide to the cthulhu mythos rate review subscribe tell your friends Thank you for listening. Back to the show. So, what about you, Scott? Are you are you putting things into video games? Uh, so I so I write uh, tabletop RPG games, and so um, like there, 
I mean, in my first game that we made, Maximum Apocalypse, the RPG, I we added the Cthulhu Mythos as one of the set a subset of the alien slash subset of the supernatural horrors. Like it's it's impossible to place them in one or the other category, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but they do exist, and you know, so they have the way that that this, the game is like an apocalypse type situation, like it's apocalypse worldly type thing, but. Um, the Cthulhu mythos isn't necessarily what caused it, and they're just they just exist out there. So, I mean, we've done that, and I've seen it happen in many other games that are not like not Call of Cthulhu, where you have these sort of monstery type things that are impossible to sort of deal with. But when you get into the game situation, you you try to make it beatable, right? And so when you get video games that have Lovecraftian elements, it's like we were talking about before, where they become lighter. They become lighter versions of what they are because um, people need to be able to beat them. So, like the Dungeons and Dragons versions of Cthulhu before, before Sandy Peterson came up with like the Sandy Peterson's Cthulhu Mythos for Five E stuff, Dungeons and Dragons like you could kill Cthulhu. Yeah, but, you know, and it's, it's like wrong. that doesn't make sense. Why would you be able to do that? But they have to, you know, in order for people to win. So, video games. I think I think what you said earlier, where video games were like an expression of the light version of Mythos. I think that's true. Yeah. And in later current video games, they're actually becoming better at recognizing storytelling is important and winning the game doesn't necessarily mean that you kill the bad guy with your dual wielding, you know, desert eagles or whatever in the end. Um, <laughs> like there's there's a there's a bunch of video games that are starting that have been out for a few years even um, where they're like, OK, listen, like surviving is the end of this game and not necessarily being the bad guy. Yeah. And so it can it can explore more of those things of like this is an undefeatable thing that is essentially everywhere and all you're trying to do is figure out how to get away from it before it just destroys everything that you know or it's just existing and you happen to be in its lair or something and so good luck with that um, and so I, I think they're changing but I, but in the days back in the day I remember playing video all kinds of video games that would be like. There's the scary monster, and then later I find out that was supposed to be something from the Cthulhu Mythos, oh, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, really? Okay." <laughs> um, I, I loved Alone in the Dark when it came out, but that was the first one. If you've, you've ever played that, that scared. I mean, I love the music. I know, and it, it's so primitive now, but it was like so, like, "Oh my God, this is amazing!" Uh, and Prisoner of Ice, those <clears> are the early oh, ones yeah. that, that I remember playing. But I, I think go back to Call of Cthulhu and. You know, D and D, D and D, you get exposure perhaps, you know, through uh, indirectly through uh, the books and and about the you know the outer gods, et cetera, the uh, you know the elder things, outer gods and the old ones, and but then you know got tired of D and D, and that's why I think you know when Sandy Peterson and them came out with Call of Cthulhu, it was so refreshing that like you're not you you you. you you might not want to survive because you're going to go and Well, and, and higher role playing, not number mashing. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, what I was right. going to say. So, right. so on that same, jumping back to the thing, like the topic, uh, the Japanese topic, um, Call of Cthulhu is actually the the largest um, imported RPG game in Japan, like tabletop RPG. Like the, the most popular is one that was made in Japan by Japanese people for Japan, right? And so it's popular. But um, Call of Cthulhu is number two. Mm-hmm. Number two, um, and it's number one in the imported category. Yeah, and so it be and because I think it has a lot to do with the, the role playing aspect because it's more about the the playing out the thing and this 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 uh, element of being a normal person with these unknown things out there that makes it so interesting for the Japanese people. Um, I mean, it's interesting for me. I play it. I just ran a game like twenty minutes ago, or you know, ten minutes before we started this. Um, 
And so I was, I love it, but I understand where they're coming from. And from the, that mindset, from people who like stories, it is a refreshing take than the D&D aspect, which while people like in our modern day of like critical role and stuff, we say that there's lots of stories in D&D, but realistically it still comes back to trying to kill the monster with your flaming sword of plus one, right? Um, so. And my plus four fist, gorilla fist gloves. And, right. Yeah, you know, that's, exactly. That was the problem is like everyone's always had over overpowered weapons and you get tired of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you have this character you've created, you've invested, you really get scared that it's going to die. Yeah. You know, and maybe yeah. there might be a little bit of fear in your D&D character, but, you know, this character is, you're so invested in it, you actually feel sometimes a legitimate fear. Mm-hmm. So that's where the that's where the Lovecraftian element might come in nicely, um, but then you have the like then people their character does die and then they rage quit and they would never come back right so there has to be a balance there, uh, but it is a, it is a nice way I will say that you're right like I think that my my dad knows nothing about the Cthulhu mythos but he did play uh, you know A D and D stuff, and so occasionally when we're watching movies something will come up or he'll reference like the thing he'll be like oh it's like the thing and I'm like. <laughs> Yes, yeah. yes, Dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, one of my favorite games uh, out there, uh, RPG, not RPG, but uh, video game wise, is uh, something that came out for the GameCube uh, called Eternal Darkness, which I think is a really good example of kind of like a sticker swap. They don't use any of the names. They don't say Cthulhu or Azathoth or anything, but they have names that are very. Cthulhu mythos with a lot of X's and O's and Y's added to them and Agawis and whatnot. Uh, is, do you have any out there, any, any examples you can think of uh, that just kind of feel like they just like pulled the decals off and put a, put, put something shiny oh, yeah. and new? Yup. You ready? Ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Donald Duck. Ooh. <laughs> the call of Caruso with the <laughs> god Flemwad. <laughs> <laughs> Darkwing Duck, Duck Thulu. Uh, Mark Rogers and Samurai Cat had Kachu and Blishu. <laughs> uh, ben 10, Diagon. Was, it's just Dagon. <laughs> um, there's all the Digimon Cthulhu Mythos ripoffs. Yeah. Um, oh, Dark Shadows did the Leviathans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. This is relatively a common thing. Oh, uh, Discworld, uh, Terry Pratchett, uh, the Necro Telenomicon. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, but you see, all, I mean, some of it's obvious maybe where the influence comes from, but a lot of it is, it, it's kind of funny. It's like secondary. Like someone was saying earlier, maybe David, Evil Dead, you, you were talking yeah. about being like, like, they didn't even know that maybe came from the Lovecraft canon. They know it from the Evil Dead, and now they're continuing. It's just an evil book of spells that yeah, does things. Right. It's, so, it's funny. is like, as you, you know, it's like throwing a rock in a pond, and you have these ripples, and the origin sometimes is a little bit, uh, you know, opaque because of yeah. its yeah. traveling. And that, and that drives sales. Too. I, I was in college, um, so I actually was sort of introduced to Lovecraft much later than I think most people. Um, and when I was in college, somebody had gotten a hold of 
the Necronomicon. <laughs> the Simon Necronomicon. And they were like, you know, they were like, oh, I'm doing this thing, going away from my parents. Like, I'm rebelling against religions. I'm going to read the Necronomicon. And they were showing it to all of us. Right. And I was just kind of like, I don't know what's going on here. This is weird. And then uh, and then later I find out that this was just some book that somebody bought. I was like, they thought it was cool. No idea where it came from. They thought it was like, you know, pagan worship stuff. And like, we're going to rebel. Um, and then, like, years later, I realized what we were doing. But we were dumb. And I didn't know. And I didn't know what was going on. And they didn't know. Um, but then, you know, I knew the reference from from Evil Dead, right from Army of Darkness. And uh, and I was like, OK, well, this it was in a movie. So how would this be a real thing? And that's where I started. And then later when I found out I was right, I felt, you know, great. OK, um, but you're right. It was like the ripple in the water created this whole thing where people can drive sales of some fictional book um, on yeah. Amazon. It's like Cthulhu Mansion. It's got Cthulhu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, no, there's no Cthulhu in Cthulhu Mansion. Yeah. Except for the name of the mansion. I think it's in the iron wrought iron grill over the top of it, and that's it. I mean, but that's the kind of thing where it's like, hey, how, how are we going to sell this this lovely graphic stuff? You know, there's a Bob Weinberg story. I'm sorry, I, I, it's not a Bob. It's in a Bob Weinberg Batman collection mm -hmm. that starts with a quote from Von Johns, and that's the only reference to anything Lovecraftian in the entire story. Mm -hmm. Like, seriously? Now I gotta have this on my shelf for one line, yeah. one piece of you know. Well, yeah, Arkham Asylum. Look at Arkham Asylum. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so I always wondered, the Arkham Asylum, you know, was it connected? Because I was into Lovecraft before I was in comic books, mm -hmm. and so I found a, on a a copy of one of the Arkham Asylum books, and I was so excited. Lovecraft was going to be in comic books. And I got disappointed. It was a Batman. I was so upset. Yeah. So I actually got a chance to talk to Denny O'Neill, who is the great writer about, uh, who created uh, Arkham Asylum. And I asked him, I go, where did he come up with the title? And Lovecraft didn't create uh, Arkham Sanitarium. It was actually Robert E. Howard in The Black Stone. And he did it as a tribute to his friend Lovecraft. And Lovecraft liked it so much and was so excited that he used it in the thing in the doorstep. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Danny O'Neill told me that uh, when I asked him about this, he said that we were all sitting around. He says, we're all big pulp fans. And we were all sitting around trying to think of this hospital for this mental institution. And one of the guys, um, uh, it was Jack, I think, uh, uh, Jack Harris, Jack Harris. I uh, said, I know, we'll call it after Arkham. He said, that was the aha moment. Mm -hmm. He said, we all of a sudden realized that was perfect because they love the pulp so much. Yeah. And the funny thing is, you know, we lost uh, Mr. O'Neill a, a while back, a couple of years ago, and he wasn't really good health when I got a chance to talk to him. But when he talked about Lovecraft and he talked about uh, Robert E. Howard and the pulps, he like sat up and he was like all excited and he started glowing. He just had so much love for that that he wanted to put into his stories. Yeah. And, and but that's an example, right? The you know, it starts out with Lovecraft, you know, and it, whether you call it Lovecraft mythos or Cthulhu mythos, I mean it's over, over it's beyond Lovecraft in a way. But all his his 
uh, you know, peers writing and, and influencing each other, making it larger. And then you have another generation come along and they start picking little bits and making tribute because they loved it. And then people who follow them later on, they don't know that it came from, you know, so it's just, it's, it's like this archeological layered dig and then we're just, and we dig more and you find like, Oh, here it goes back to the source material. And sometimes we get dead ends like the psychedelic band, HP Lovecraft. Yeah, like well, they nowhere. had white ship. They obviously knew. They knew. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know the uh, what was it the uh, house of the high mist? I think they, that that was one of theirs too. So it's like, yeah, they they knew at least the titles, if nothing else. <laughs> but but the '60s, I think you know everyone was experimenting a, a wee bit much, and uh, you know they were they were ex- opening doors, uh, you know that should not be opened, and naming things that should not be. Named, perhaps but i mean uh there's a there's a lovecraft bar here in portland i don't know if you guys are aware of it um yeah they changed their name though changed their name though, did yeah. they okay good because like it was a popular hangout for all of my friends who were like in the gothic like world none of them so the people that i talked to none of them had any clue who hp lovecraft was yet this was their favorite bar and they would go there every week and hang out mm-hmm. i was like that's weird i think it's called the coffin club now yeah, yeah. that or, makes more sense. That makes more sense. <laughs> Not apropos or you know or, or Clark Ashton Smith ish. You know. Yeah, yeah. So that was the first place I went to when I moved to Portland. I was so excited, but I'm not a drinker. I'd never been to a bar, and I was there at eleven o'clock in the morning, and I was surprised. Why is it closed? <laughs> you know, the only type of bar I'd ever been to was like a bar and grill. I go, why is the door locked? It, it's almost noon. It's, it's because they can't take the light, you know, the, the inmate. <laughs> that's what I found out later. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's funny. But then, yeah, that's another thing. But I, you know, I don't know who the owner is, but, what, you know, they had, you know, early, early when they first opened, they had film festival posters up and things like that. So yeah, obviously, yeah, sure, sure. and reanimator and things like that. So I think whoever opened the bar definitely knew a thing or two, but I think that the later owners and like the later bartenders and stuff had no clue what was going on. And, and, and that's why it's renamed because it's probably popular. right. Right. Yep. There you go. <coughs> Sorry. I was about to say something. Then I coughed. <laughs> we'll edit that out. We'll fix it in post. We'll fix oh, it yeah. in post. We'll fix it yeah. in post. Yeah. Uh, besides, besides establishments, is there any uh, things that you can think of that are franchises that can definitely lend their kind of like success to the Cthulhu mythos without being very 100% Cthulhu mythos that you can think of? An Arrogantic beer. There's a, a there's a brewery in providence oh uh, right yeah that has made a whole line of lovecraftian beers and i've drunk them all <laughs> and they're not very good <laughs> they still sell well you, you know narragansett's been around a long time i used it, to live in, in rhode island and yep. that was my 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 grandparents were drinking you know that that stuff and uh yeah they but they reinvented themselves and and then they hey what's popular and famous yep. in rhode island yeah there you go uh, in Philadelphia, there's a reanimator coffee house. And in Florida, we have a, a, a place called the Coffee Shop of Horrors, and they have a reanimator blend. Mm-hmm. And a, uh, a, a Cthulhu blend that's like a, a, a great old one wake up or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yep. Yeah, I hate to say it, but you know, all those plush toys. I think a lot of people oh, yeah. know oh, yeah. from those toys is which okay, I have a couple. Yeah. I, I actually have a Funko Pop right above me of Cthulhu. Like right mm-hmm. above me, there's a little shelf and that's there's a Funko Pop there of Cthulhu. There was that there was that woman back back in the was it early or late nineties, early two thousands would make the stuffed winged little very cute Cthulhu's. And so it became very cutesy, you know, like that was the other thing in pop culture. You started like making Cthulhu small and cuddly and cute. And, Chibi uh, Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just it, it's interesting. Uh, again, it all just goes in separate directions. And then these people who have it have no idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. They could unleash. They could bring the downfall of humanity. They have no idea. Yeah. There's a, there's Cthulhu tarot decks, and there's like yeah, it's like a thing. It's actually a thing. Yeah. And, and I think that especially the like the the plushy Cthulhu's. That's a market that for children that's untapped with everything else. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it seems that there's all all kinds of stuff like them, like all kinds of... I definitely remember there being a pushback when the plush stuff first came out. I, I, I remember there being like a real kind of a pushback online in like 2004, 2005, people being like, we don't need these plush Cthulhu's. But anyway, but... Uh, <laughs> well, see, the thing is... But it's it's published and sold by uh, Chaosium, or at least it's like sold by Chaosium. So like, and they make all of Cthulhu the video or the RPG, which has been probably one of the biggest promoters of the Cthulhu mythos to literally half the world. Um, Yeah. So I mean, they won an award somewhere. They got an award for it, but they definitely, like I said, they're number two game in Japan. So I mean. You know, they have they definitely have influence, and then they created like kids' books with Cthulhu Mythos monsters yeah. as the key thing. Yeah, you so. you, uh, you train your your buyers early. Yeah. Yep. So well, talking our, about so one of the things that I have seen is my kids love the show Gravity Falls, mm-hmm. and it is all cosmic horror. Okay. It, it's a slow build, and they're like they they come to me afterwards, and it's like, Dad, you have to explain some of this stuff to me. And, you know, what's going on here? What are these influences? And the next thing I know, my daughter's wearing all my Cthulhu shirt. <laughs> Based on Boring Oregon, by the way. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I guess some of this... So that's like sneaky Lovecraft and like kid stuff. Mm-hmm. Where I, I really love is like... Um, there's two Pulitzer Prize winning novels that are... are Lovecraftian. Well, not Lovecraftian, but they have Lovecraft mentions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, Juno Diaz wrote The Wonderful Life, Brief and Wonderful Life of Oscar Wow. And he flat out says that one of his neighbors has the intimate look. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then Michael Chabon, who, you know, published in Playboy and, and, and you know, Lovecraftian stuff in Playboy and whatnot, his Pulitzer Prize winning novel, The Amazing Inventions of Cavalier and Clay, these characters arrive in the United States aboard the Miskatonic, mm-hmm. the, the, the cruise liner, uh, the Miskatonic, which just fits right in with Titanic and yep. all the other ones. Yeah, Jim then, Hill's, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. um, but Jim Hill's novel, the, our graphic novel, The Plunge, the boat they're looking for is called The Derelict. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. right. And then Shaban gets hired to be the showrunner 
for the first season of Picard. Yep. And yes, it's it's machine gods, but those machine gods are like Lovecraftian. They are outside space and time. Yep. And they get called forth. They summon them. Right. Yes. So, yeah. Right. And the 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 Romulans who were their cult, you are driven mad. <laughs> mm. Right. Yep. That whole that whole season, that whole first season of Picard is, is like super Lovecraftian. Yeah. Echoes of all that stuff, yeah. It's interesting, you know, you know, I, I I'd been doing this this kind of stuff for, for decades now and you know, you know, got influenced in eighty three with Reanimator and then started doing things you know, in the the late eighties and early nineties, obviously with the film festival, et cetera. And um, but I knew like and it was so hard because I don't I I, I think <laughs> with the the internet be, allowing everyone to be connected now where it used to be harder uh it, it used to be much harder to to find these groups of people or let alone like promote to them uh when you see it on john stewart and um you know the stephen colbert show okay. and right. south park yep. like you you know that it is in the mainstream uh at least the superficial Stuff like Necronomicon Cthulhu, the, the buzzwords of the the mythos, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's mainstream. I mean, like that, like that marked when that happened. That was like the, I think, the interesting point. So uh, I'm going to build off of that. A uh, Disney's Ant Farm. They have a mi- they have one of their minor characters just meditates the Cthulhu. All right. All right. What? <laughs> yeah. And then. Remember Teen Movie? The, what movie? Disney's Teen Movie. Okay. It's a beach movie. That's you know they get set they um get knocked off their surf. This guy and this girl get knocked off their surfboards and they go back in time and it's just like um uh, uh Romeo and Juliet, but it's between surfers and bikers. Mm-hmm. But they're taking their the whole thing starts off. They're taking their last surf ride because. She's being sent away to boarding school because her parents have died. The boarding school she's being sent to, Dunwich Academy. Yeah. The, like, the last the last episode of Scooby Doo and um, uh, Mystery Star? Inc. They graduate high school and they go to Mesocatonic University. Yeah. Yeah. But but this is so you know back in the day I, I'm a avid movie poster collector so I have uh, you know. DB, have you been to my house? Have you seen all my movie posters in the basement? Okay, but anyway, I, I have lots of posters, and you'll see a lot of things where the artist will try to slip past the art director, will slip in naughty things, little right. little things, to, and try to get past. And um, it's I, I feel like it's the same thing. You know, writers and other are slipping things in. Uh, you know, if it, if it doesn't cause any problem, it gets it gets put into the final product, and that's their little their little right. nod. Especially, it's funny, like for Disney or something, you would think that like they would go, "That's not appropriate for you know what we're trying to convey." But mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. seems seems to make it through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Cthulhu mythos—it's slipping into all of our media. <laughs> it's not for, just for breakfast. I mean, I was gonna say that, like you know, in in anime, there's a couple of, of times where they slip that in. I mean, you already mentioned Digimon, right? We don't even have to cover that. You did drop that. But in, um, like, for example, like, I remember looking back, I didn't even realize it until now, but I looked, there was a, a TV show that was on Toonami, it was like Adult Swim or whatever, Big O, which was like a show about, 
you know, mech, uh, there is an episode where he's outside of the town and there's this fisherman who won't fish because there are these like sort of predators in the water that are killing the fish. They're, they're fish people. We find out near the end of the episode, they start calling crawling up out of the water and he's going to use the big O to like fight them off. They're, they're just deep ones. Yeah. And like, that was just in an episode of this popular animated show that was in America and stuff even. Um, but they just slip it in, just slip in some deep ones, slip in some, you know, little things here and there. It'll be fine. No one will notice. Yeah. So yeah. do you guys know, um, uh, there's the destroyer, the, like Remo Williams. Yeah. All right. So there's a whole series of destroyer novels and this one's called the dream thing. And it's, Cthulhu invading the dreams of America. <laughs> and then oh, put it put it to the other side. More to your left. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, and there's a really good image of Cthulhu there. Right? And then if you want to push way back, you know, Kenneth Robeson, the, the guy created Doc Savage, his other character was the Avenger. Mm-hmm. And this this one that mentions the Necronomicon. Ah, yeah. Mm. Very Hard not cool. to. Very cool. All right. Um, yeah. oh. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was uh, finished your thought there. I'm sorry. All right. So it took me. All right. So I grew up reading Larry Niven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I knew that he was a Lovecraftian because he mentions in, the, in his novel, The Legacy of Herat, um, the, the colonists named the river the Miskatonic. Mm-hmm. Um, in his Dream Park novels, Arkham and Miskatonic are options for hotels. Yeah. And, you know, I actually got to read, and it's been, it's been a long time since it's been published, um, he wrote a book called, a, a story called The Last Necronomicon, uh, which is really hard to find. But then I sat down and I reread this, World of Tides. Back it up a little bit. I think it's the blurry background. It thinks it's background. I think it's yeah. cursed. Anyway, it's a cursed no, There's image. nothing really special about the, the cover, but this story is about um, the discovery of a stat- underwater statue of a, of a tentacled monster with one eye, so he's Cyclopean, that is not a statue. It's actually an alien in stasis. Mm-hmm. And... When he gets released, he enslaves large po- groups of the population. And eventually we learn the background is that one of Larry Niven's other races of known space, these giant slug-like things, were actually their slaves and food animals and rebelled. Mm. <laughs> and you imprisoned them. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Sounds really familiar, right? And I'm like, oh, wow, Larry Niven wrote his entire known space. This is a alternate Cthulhu mythos version. Um, just, you know, and it's like, holy crap. And then the funny thing is that John Brunner writes another novel, like the year, next, the year after this wait, came wait, out. John, John Brunner, like, sheep look up John Brunner. John Brunner writes okay. a novel called The Atlantic Abomination about an alien... That is dragged up from the under from the, the Atlantic and goes on to conquer parts of Florida. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's just like again, that's Cthulhu. You just rewrote it. 
Yeah. Well, but this is, it's like a treasure. It's like little breadcrumbs, right? right. You, you enjoy all this, you know, I'm sure, you know, Scott, you're looking through, you know, maybe game, you know, gaming material and other things or David, you know, when you're finding this stuff, it's, it's just, it's rewarding because you go, ha one of us, one of us. You know? <laughs> yes. And, and in yeah. places you don't expect it, like there's a couple <coughs> of spiders uh, that, you know, I think what's that big giant plateau in Pluto is now named after Cthulhu. So, yeah. yeah, some of the some of those literature geeks became science geeks yeah. and are finding the new universe. Uh, right. Yeah, it's a little scary sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Thinking about like, are we creating reality by you know? It's like, woo. Anyway, now yeah. Yeah, where are you going to join this weekend? Well, I'm going to go down to Yugoth and you know, just yeah. why not? You know, we've got worse names for things. Um. Boating I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. One of the one of the, the places that I I didn't expect to find ever find Cthulhu, but now it is not only a core portion of the comic books, but it's also a core portion of the television series. Archie. Sabrina. You know, Afterlife with Archie, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Cthulhu and the Mythos are smack dab to everything now the the polycyclops yeah. are, 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 the, are they're based on the the willow whips yeah mm. and um the great it also has the great god pan yeah the, and you're talking about like the reboot of this stuff or you talk about the original like the, so the the I, what is it the last 10 years yeah yeah so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the television series the uh, and the, uh the comics the, that came out before it right um, so the television series there is two episodes. One is Dreams in the Witch House, and the other is Pickman's Model. Hmm. Right. And then the whole last season just creates a whole new cosmic horror universe with with various monsters mm-hmm. uh, and or, or primordial gods. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I I think like the whole point of Sabrina's birth is to marry Cthulhu in, in the comics. And, um, yeah, it's just really bizarre to see this wholesome thing. That like, <laughs> it's not wholesome anymore. <laughs> not wholesome anymore. It's like Archie is now, who's next? Hot stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, it's, 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 it's getting its tendrils and everything, you know, yeah. it's, yeah, it's just funny. It's 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 this ripple thing. I tell you, it's like the uh, it's like the telephone tree thing. It just keeps going, and then, you know, you'll see the waves go on. You know, what is it going to be in another generation? It's going to be it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Oh. So I think the big one now is, of course, Lovecraft Country, that people have never heard of the name before. Now at least have heard the name and associated it with, you know, right. a major presentation, even if it's only going to go one season. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I got to say, like, you know, the set, the love they put into that show from like, if you, if you, you know, if you're crazy like me and you're stopping it and you're reading every spine of every book on, on the shelves, they did an excellent job. The art director did a great job. Yeah. Like there's a little like. there's some continuity issues, but you know what? It's not important unless you're a super geek like us. Yeah. It, 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 it kind of devolved a bit to just X-File-esque episodic you know weekly things but 
it's fine. There's room for that. I, I was, you know, it's, it's unfortunate you get, you get canceled personally. The, the book by uh, Matt Rupp, I think, is one of the three best books made in the last two decades. Except for this one. <laughs> there's, said, two others, there's, there's two others. Three. I was, he said, he, he said okay. it's best three books, right? Yeah, so I thought you were going to hold a lurker in the lobby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the third one. It's, there it's we go. We're done. All well, right. Sorry, Neil Gaiman, but your graveyard book just got kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so one thing I wanted to talk about, just kind of a final thing, is one thing I really like in general in life is the Fallout series, which handles the Cthulhu mythos and cosmic horror in such a way that you really have to search for it. You have to kind of dig around deep within the game and find it just like mentioned just briefly or just kind of this like weird thing that happens and it's 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 kind of like it's not the main focus of the game the main focus of the game is surviving and doing stuff and going out and surviving the post-apocalypse but you happen to run across it and once you run across it you can't unrun across it and it's just kind of this cool way to handle the mythos and uh before we head out anyone else have a favorite way that the mythos is handled in pop culture that you think is like really kind of like a, you know what? It's it's not one hundred percent Cthulhu, but damn it, that's a way to do it. I, I love that you know Shang Chi had all these exact traditional Asian monsters in it or creatures, and what was basically Migo. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, that whole that whole third act is is straight out of it's straight cosmic horror. So, yeah, that works. Well, so, I, I mean, in that in that vein, I don't have, like, a specific answer of, like, a time, like, sure. something offhand that I can think of that's that fits what you're asking. But there is something that I do like about, like, like I said, I prepped all this stuff to talk about Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I do like is that uh, in, like, the Japanese style of, like, taking things and then, like, changing them into stuff that's, like, Japanese and then sort of turning it into something else and reproducing it, um, there have been a couple of times where they basically took something like uh, like the uh, the General Horror, which was which was published in Japan in 1940, so before the the end of the war. Um, it was uh, remade. It was rewritten to be uh, this other kind of story called uh, Chite no Ashioto, where they basically just took the story of the General Horror and and just placed it in rural Japan, and just and then changed all of the names of the professors and the people to Japanese names so that it was like palatable for Japanese people, but was still the Dunwich Horror, mm-hmm. right? It was still the story. And I like, so that, that kind of thing I think is really cool. Um, and like finding those kind of stuff. Cause it's like, I don't know how many times that's been done. I don't know where I'm going to find it, but every now and then I might be like reading some manga or something where it's like, Holy crap. I'm, I'm actually just reading, you know, like the, uh, the tale of Randolph Carter or something, something like that. And uh, and it's, but it's in Japanese, right? It's a Japanese version and that kind of thing. So I do I do like running into that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I mean, my Meyer's earliest influences was with like Matango or Attack of the Mushroom People, as we saw it in oh, the yeah. U.S. Uh, because I go, this feels like a Lovecraft story. What is this? And then finding out about you know William uh, Hope Option. So it was like that was like wow, cool discovery for me, you know. And uh, later on, finding like. The, the beginning of the film aspect of things, like with the the the, um, the Mexican movie Mark of the uh, Death, 
which was the case of Charles Dexter Ward, but done with, uh, you know, basically, you know, vampiric type elements, again, modernizing it to make it more palatable. And the Haunted Palace just led to, you know, for me was the, the big influence that and the serialized stories of Lovecraft and all the big, you know, the, all the authors of, of, of his day. Uh, I don't know. It's all, all cool stuff. And it's really fascinating to see how it, it manifests itself in, in other places. Andrew, have you seen a movie called Sea Fever? Uh, which one? Sea Fever. No, I have not. It look for it. It's a it's a remake of Matango. Okay, but not yeah, as much as people. I'll check it out. I've got it, that Sea Fever. It makes me want a Matango. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. <laughs> that reminds me very little of whenever Uzumaki came out on you know coming out on film. I drove up to Seattle and bought a a region-free DVD player and bought the Uzumaki because I was so excited that it was on film and then immediately showed it at the film festival, of course, once I, I was able to get, you know, the permission to show it. But uh, that's how crazy, you know, it's like, yeah, let's just drive a three-hour drive, just go to a video store and then drive all the way back to Portland. That was that was fun. So some of the my favorite things that are, yes, that's Lovecraftian, but it's not Lovecraftian. Um, you know, uh, Dean Koontz's Phantoms. Uh, well, and even go for John W. Campbell's Who Goes There. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that's clearly based in, at, at the Mountains of Madness. Because... It's clearly a sequel to At the Mountains of Madness. And if, if you didn't believe it, I make a good case for that in The Weird Company. Yeah. 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 Um, right. Yeah. I, 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 I've, I've, I've written and talked about that that aspect of it too because it's 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 pretty clear. <laughs> well, but there's, but he did. I like how you said it was a sequel. I liked how you said that because he did, he added his own elements and his own things to it. There's there's just a few comments here and there in the original At the Mountains of Madness of, of this second magnetic pole of you know another thing something else that's interfering with their compasses. And then it's just, it's never explained. It's, you know, you assume it's the other city or whatnot. But then you get to, um, uh, who goes there, and that, they're the second magnetic pole expedition. Mm-hmm. They're yep. looking for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a sequel, but it doesn't, it's not lavish about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, so that one, um, I kind of, Uh-oh. You just froze there. Can you hear me now? All right. Yep. So I know I'm in the minority on this. I like the first three books in the Manitou series by Graham Masterton. And as long as you like the movie adaptation, that's fine. <laughs> I like the idea that he took Lovecraftian mythos and merged it with American Indian mythology and came up with a new way of handling that. And I think if you don't get that, you don't get some of the stuff um, that you get later by people who did it better. Um, so, yeah, I you know, I, I kind of like that effort on his behalf. <laughs> and I think Campbell did the same thing with Lovecraft, where he, he, being the editor at the yeah. time, looking at it going, great ideas, uh torture writing maybe and then I'm going to do my own thing with it. Yeah, thing. yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. Thank you, everyone, for coming to this panel. Uh, this has been whatever the title was originally. And uh, thank you for coming to the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival 2020, uh, 21, 16th anniversary, 26th anniversary. Um, now with more bits, more digital bits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As the way the old ones wanted it. Indeed. <laughs> All right. We should do this more often, but then we'd be ripping off uh, Lovecraft easing. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, there is plenty of space in the world for a, more of this. And Oh, definitely. You know, at least, well, you're not going to put any of this in. Oh, no. You know, the Lovecraft easing has become more of a pop culture thing. I mean, they still try to keep it on the cosmic horror, but we, we drift, you know, Somebody's invited me onto the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, and I'm perfectly willing and 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 happy to do that because it it's it's near and dear to my heart. Only if you come to Portland, so that that DB can pick up some nice roast and have Swatsbia. Yeah. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to the show. Music is by me, D.B. Spitzer, edited and produced by me, D.B. Spitzer. The interview portions are always edited and produced by David Heath. And hey, you can find us wherever you find podcasts. So check out pgttcm.com. And if you don't want to check out the Patreon, if you don't want to do that, and you want to help out the show, just go to sponsors or buy t-shirts or anything like that. Anything helps. Thank you again. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio.